This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast on Tuesday, March the 15th. And we're going to start with an update on yesterday's top story about the sudden closure of Rook's Butcher's stores across Kent. More details have been revealed today as to why they closed. Now, the various COVID lockdowns over the past two years have been blamed for a drop in trade and it's been confirmed nearly all 155 staff have been made redundant. The administrators who've been appointed have released a statement. Ish, what does it say? Well, it begins by explaining that the company suffered trading losses in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, primarily due to constraints from lockdown closures, which were then exacerbated further through the Omicron variant in late 2021, during what would be their peak season in the run-up to Christmas. The directors concluded that with the deteriorating trading position, the company would need to go through an insolvency process. Just a reminder, there were 11 J.C. Rook and Sun stores across the county. The firm had been founded in 1965 and opened its first shop in Dover. It also has a production and distribution facility in Ramsgate and a food service facility in Shoreham, both of which have also been shut. The statement from administrators goes on to say our immediate priority is to assist those members of staff who have been made redundant, providing them with the information they need to be able to make claims from the Redundancy Payments Office. Thanks ever so much, Ish. And at Kent Online today, you can also read the views of other independent butchers in Kent, their fears for the high streets and the impact of our change in shopping habits. There's more jobs news today as well, as HSBC says it's cutting around 400 positions and shutting 69 branches, including two here in Kent. The one in Strood will close in September, while its Herm Bay branch shuts in October. The bank says it hopes to redeploy all staff to new roles within 15 miles of their homes. And there's been an increase in the number of people out of work in Kent for the first time in a year. 46,610 were claiming unemployment benefits in the county last month. That's 640 more than in January, and 13,700 higher than before the pandemic. Kent Online News. Other top stories today and some news from court first. A gang of fraudsters who stole £60,000 from elderly people in Kent have been jailed for a total of more than eight years. Three men targeted 47 victims between them in places including Gravesend, Dartford and Maidstone by pretending to be from their bank. A 34 and 38-year-old have been locked up while another man who's 40 was given a suspended sentence. Three burglars who restrained a woman while they raided her home in Swanscombe have been jailed for a total of 16 years. The victim, who's in her 70s, was left struggling to move after being knocked to the ground and held so tightly she couldn't breathe in Manor Road last September. The men, who are aged between 31 and 55, took cash and a bank card. They were later caught on CCTV and a phone was found containing evidence of their plans. Ten men accused of abusing a teenage girl over two years in Kent have been acquitted. She was said to have been repeatedly attacked between 2016 and 2018 in the Folkestone and Canterbury areas. But the men who are in their 20s and 30s have been able to walk free after prosecutors offered no evidence during a trial. Now, Kent MP has defended the government's response to the crisis in Ukraine. 
The UK has been criticised for delays faced by refugees trying to get into Britain. Sittingbourne and Sheppey's Gordon Henderson admits there have been some issues. I think that more could have been done quicker, but I think that we are doing an awful lot. There are and there's no doubt about it, where we have fallen down is that there are Ukrainians in this country and there are people in this country that want to help who um, have struggled to bring to this country their relatives. But I think that now the, uh, the, the Home Office is actually ensuring that people who have a passport are able to apply online and then the they can come here then automatically and then the final stages will be done in this country. I think that's going to help and I'm I'm pleased about that. But the other thing we really must remember is the government has been criticised a lot for the delays and, and the length of time it takes to check people. And, and the argument goes that other European companies countries haven't done that. The reason we have to do it is because we are targeted, we are already being targeted by the Russians. We saw that only uh, a, a year or two ago when, when they tried to poison people in, in, in our country. Uh, and they will do that again. And, it, and, and when you bear in mind that a lot of Ukrainians speak Russian, it's very difficult to, um, we have to ensure that the people who come here are actually Ukrainians. And that is the difficulty we face, is that the government faces is that we want to get people in and help them as much as we can, but we at the same time have to protect our population. And can you imagine what would happen if um, somebody did let loose uh, some sort of uh, uh, chemical weapon in uh, Medway, for argument's sake, uh, what, because we let them in, what would people say? So we have to be as humane as we can, we have to, and I want to see it done as quickly as possible, and that's the, that's the thing, but we still have to maintain those checks to protect our uh, our own citizens. Well, at the time of recording today's podcast, around 89,000 UK households had signed up to offer space to Ukrainian refugees. About 3 million people are now understood to have fled the country since the invasion by Russia. Nearly half of them are children, according to the UN Refugee Agency. Well, yesterday, we asked on socials if you would be willing to open up your home to a Ukrainian refugee. Well, hundreds of you have been commenting. Let's hear from some of them. Madeline Newson says, My personal opinion is that this will not work. Imagine how scary it will be for these people in a strange country, a stranger's home and possibly unable to communicate. It's far better for the government to house them in communities together. The MOD has plenty of spare land they could put mobile homes on. Karen Mary has added, unfortunately, we haven't got a spare room. We fostered vulnerable children most of our lives and if we had a spare room would not hesitate in offering it to a refugee as long as checks have been done on them first to ensure they were genuine and not risk to us or our family physically. Lindsay has said, I feel the government has done again what they always do, put everything on the people rather than act accordingly like you would want them to. The government should put something in place for those who need help instead of expecting us to do it. Angela Seymour has said maybe for a few nights but six months or longer is too long plus I don't have a spare room. Also these people are so traumatised understandably that I wouldn't be able to 
help them psychologically. And finally, Franny Hoskins has said, I find it rather sad that the same arrangements weren't offered to Syrian and Afghan families who've been made homeless and are fleeing to safety from war that's also been engineered by Putin. People need warmth and safety wherever they are from. You can still continue to add your comments if you head to our Facebook and Twitter. Meantime, a Kent hospital says it will apply to sponsor visas for Ukrainian refugees and their families. The Chaucer in Canterbury has announced it's also planning to offer jobs. And finally, on this today, talks between Russia and Ukraine have been continuing. It's after the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, addressed Russian soldiers directly, urging them to stop fighting. Let's hear from Yulia Campbell, who's from Canterbury and was born in the Ukrainian city of Mariupol. She hasn't heard from her family in nearly two weeks. I've tried every single possible way. I've tried approaching um, the volunteers that were on site at the time. Obviously, now um, the connection has completely been lost um, uh, before we were able to reach some people, you know, the, the ones that were using various, um, you know, sources. Um, but now there is just no connection. There is no internet. There is no electricity. People are not able to charge their devices. They're not able to, um, to use anything. So we've lost any little connection that we had for a few days. So now it's been over 12 days that I have not heard anything from my family. I've had a very, very short uh, message from a friend of mine saying that we're alive and the house still stands, but they're not where my mom is. And they're not where my family is. So they're on the outskirts of the city. Um, and they've had a tiny little breakthrough today with the internet connection and they've managed to send me a text. But that's that's all I had. I'm hanging on to every word, to every little text message. I don't leave my phone unattended for even for a second, just hoping that I'll get a little um, glimpse of hope from anyone. Um, I have got my mum, I have got my um, my aunt, my uncles, my nieces, my my cousins, uh, my, my brother-in-law. There's just so many people um, that I'm worried about and they're all in different areas in the city. So I'm trying to constantly view, you know, the areas that they could possibly be in I'm trying to find out any information about them, but because they are so spread out and because I haven't heard from them for so long, I don't know whether they've maybe come together, maybe they're staying in a shelter together. Um, It's very difficult not to know anything at all for so long. It's very difficult. The thing is, when you think about Mariupol, this is the city mainly of of block of flats. There is nine, nine, you know, nine story buildings, smallish flats. They're not huge. There there isn't much space. You don't have a pantry. You don't have basements of, you know, in, in each flat. So whatever you can stockpile, it will be a very small amount where you can keep in a kitchen. So it won't last you two weeks. It won't last you three weeks. If there's a family of four people, you you don't have enough supplies. It's as simple as that. People don't have enough food and nothing has been um, brought from outside. Nothing has been delivered into the city. So whatever they've got left is what they've managed to save over time um, before, before the war started because they haven't been able to top up their supplies in any way, shape or form because all of the shops have been bombed and um, there's nothing left. Um, So the the help needs to come in immediately. Uh, Humanitarian aid needs to come in immediately. It's on the border of Mariupol. They have been there for several days, but they're not able to actually come in to the city to bring anything through. The medication, food, water, everything that people so desperately need is there. It's almost out of their reach. They can see it, but they can't touch it.
there aren't any official bunkers or anything like that. So basically, basically people have prepared their shelters in their basements, um, but there isn't any kind of, maybe there are several within the city, but they obviously are very, very full because most of, if you've seen the, the satellite images and you've seen the videos, um, a lot of the buildings, a lot of the infrastructure has been completely destroyed. So if you imagine a, a nine-story building, a block of flats where there's about 500 people living in one of those, and it has been bombed and it has been on fire and it's completely unlivable, those people need to go somewhere. And there are places, um, for security reasons, I cannot say where they are, but there are places that would accept these people. And there are several areas where there is over 1,000 people would be sheltering in the same building. Um, and obviously they are... <laughs> They, they have to go somewhere because they've lost their homes. There's nothing left. And you can head to the national pages of Kent Online for the most updated information on the impact of the conflict here and the UK's response. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. A grieving widow has called for a ban on dogs in cemeteries to be scrapped after being fined £100 for taking her pet to her husband's graveside in Herne Bay. Linda Martin was approached by an enforcement officer while paying respects with her border collie. She's the first to be fined since the rules were introduced back in 2017. The council say while they sympathise, they have to enforce the restrictions in a consistent way and cannot make exceptions. We'd love to know what you think today. We've got a poll within the story where you can go and vote. A suspected drug dealer has been charged after two police officers were attacked in Canterbury. One of them was bitten and another had his arm injured after a suspicious car was pulled over on Sunday night. A 21-year-old man is due at Crown Court next month, accused of assaulting an emergency worker and dealing heroin and crack cocaine. Meantime, a man's been arrested after police cars were damaged at a Kent railway station. Someone's thought to have jumped on the vehicles at Maidstone West yesterday, leaving dents in the bonnets. Officers used CCTV to track down the suspect. Dozens of pregnant sheep have been stolen from a field near Canterbury. It's thought 44 were loaded onto a truck after they were taken from Chapel Lane in Blean over the weekend. Kent Online reports. Now, the Kent Online podcast has been behind the scenes of Rochester Cathedral to hear about some of the historic site's hidden gems. England's second oldest cathedral features Norman architecture and one of the best Romanesque facades in the country. Dr Philip Hethskith is the Dean of Rochester. The, the cathedral is a, a remarkable place and um, it is really one of the big hidden treasures. Um, the first cathedral here, 604, but what above ground... Um, remains a magnificent Norman nave um, and it has these fantastic hidden treasures that, um, you know, it's good to talk to one of our guides if you're here that point them out to you really, but it is a wonderful, wonderful building, not only architecturally, but some of the things that it holds and possesses and looks after. Particularly with the high-speed train, 35 minutes from London, this is just a remarkable place and in the sight of a fantastic Norman castle and keep, wonderful bridge, fantastic water. It is a spectacular place. I mean, we've been doing a lot of work highlighting um, about the Texas Refences, which is, as I was saying to you, probably one of the most important documents in Britain. It has a fascinating history, which which kind of let people know more about that. And we'll be celebrating its 900th anniversary in a couple of years' time. But there are other things too here that, that we'd like to highlight. There's the fantastic Wheel of Fortune from the 1200s, which is amazing. 
um, and one of the best preserved examples anywhere. Um, we've got this fantastic zodiac, which raises lots of um, uh, questions and mysteries why that's here, uh, beautifully tiled in front of the high altar. That There are lots of real gems um, and they, they can be easily walked past. We try and keep this place open free of charge and the exhibition and everything. Um, and we, we're dependent on visitors' donations and that's really important so that we can. We're always looking for other forms of streams of um, income, which is why we have so many events here. And we've had the light show, which was absolutely brilliant. We've got Gaia coming, which was the um, sister to the moon that we had here. That's coming in June. Lots of events, that, and some of them are free. Some of them we charge for. That helps us keep the cathedral open entry free of charge for everybody. A former 19th century pub in Herne Bay is being turned into one of the country's first all-electric powered residential developments. 11 one-bed homes will replace the old Queen Victoria which dates back to 1864. It's been sat empty for the last nine years. A number of towns in Kent could have cameras installed to catch drivers for so-called moving traffic offences. Now Kent County Council is applying to the government for new powers so it can fine motorists for ignoring things like no entry signs or stopping inside yellow boxes or even driving in a bus or taxi lane. They could be introduced in Ashford, Dartford, Gravesend and Maidstone. We've got until May to give our thoughts on the idea. And finally today, one of Kent's biggest gaming events will return to the historic dockyard in Chatham this summer. The Medway Gaming and Creative Festival will take place on the 16th and 17th of July. Details on how to get tickets are on the What's On pages of Kent Online. Kent Online Sport. Football and it's another massive game for Gillingham tonight as their fight to avoid relegation continues. They're now only in the bottom four on goal difference following a 1-0 win over Doncaster Rovers at the weekend. This evening it's a local derby as they travel to Charlton. Boss Neil Harris has been speaking to our sports reporter Luke Cordell. I know there's some big games ahead, but you, you're down to goal difference now that's keeping you inside the bottom four. How good does it feel that you, you're making that progress? Um, yeah, again, we have to win the next game. We, know we, have to, we have to have the same mentality as we had in the first the first nine. There's going to be disappointments between now and the end of the season. You know, as I said, along the league table is going to go up and down, and all, all we've done is built belief and confidence again. Um, there be ups and downs between now and, and 30th of April. We have to be prepared for the disappointments like we did after Bolton last week. And I come and spoke to you guys very calmly after the game because I knew it was all about Doncaster next week. And um, losing the game last week um, sort of calmed me a little bit because the results went our way and Tuesday night nobody won and today nobody won. So um, in it, we're right back in the mix and that's all we can do. But if we don't win one of our next couple of games, then you know we could be adrift again and, the, and that, that's, that's the swings of it and that's why I can't focus on everybody else and that's why I can only control what I can control with the players and that's preparing the team for Tuesday mm. and it's a case of just counting up the numbers I suppose is it yes yeah it, it, it will be will be tomorrow um, tomorrow um, be head count of the players Monday will be preparation time for, for Tuesday and there'll be very limited time on, on, on the pitch just physically we have to recover we just can't take risks and, and you know if, if we have to get round and rest players next week after Sheffield Wednesday if we're in that position to be able to give players a few days off feet saying off from the training ground but off the training pitch just to protect them then, 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 then so be it yeah. Carryall and Reeves so are they likely to miss the midweek game or yes yeah yeah they're, um, they're, they're hamstring and calf oh. respectively um, 
that players, two players just deconditioned um, through lack of game time and lack of training time and um, you know, finding that within the squad and um, have to try and manage them and, and sometimes a little bit risk and reward. Uh, we thought we was comfortable pushing them to the minutes they've had um, but both have broken down by not even playing 45 minutes of football. You know, it's a worrying position for a manager to be in. With, with, with personnel in the squad when you've got Danny Lloyd with a, a crew share, Alex McDonald with a serious knee injury and you've got two players that can't complete. I've played them twice and Ben's made 60 minutes they're not fit and now played 45 minutes and not fit and Muzz has played 40 minutes and not fit and 45 minutes and not fit. But we have to look at the bigger picture of recruitment yeah. recruitment, um, and, and, and you know, working players cleverly um, to make sure we get as much game time out of them as possible. Charlton are currently 17th in the League One table and seven points above the Jills. Kick-off this evening is at 7.45. You'll be able to follow the match action at Kent Online and hear details of the result in our bulletins on sister radio station KMFM tomorrow morning. And Kent tennis player Emma Raducanu was among the winners at the Style Remarkable Women Awards last night. The 19-year-old from Orpington got the prize for Sports Star of the Year. The ceremony celebrates female talent across a number of platforms, including fashion, music and activism. Other winners included Vigil actress Saran Jones and Spice Girl Mel B. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Plus, you can get access to the new ad-free Kent Online premium site. To do it, just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.